Well, today we'll uh, dive into the Word of God. We'll study the Word of God. So uh, may I invite you to please stand as we read these verses from the Epistle of John. That will be 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And we will be reading from the ESV version. Please do read with me uh, as I flash them on the screen. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. My little children, I am writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. May the Lord be worshipped and praised by the reading of his word. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this wonderful moment that we can be together studying your word, listening to your word. Lord, be with your people today as we listen to the truth that, we be, that will be proclaimed today. Father, we pray that we may be able to realize them and to apply them in our very lives. And so, Father, today, be with your people and may the Holy Spirit guide us in all truth. We ask this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, our divine teacher, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's all be seated. Well, today, I'd like to greet everyone a uh, happy Independence Day. If you are not a native speaker of Filipino, I mean, if you are not a speaker of a Filipino, allow me to greet my compatriots. Maligayang araw ng kasarinlan sa inyong lahat. Mabuhay ang Pilipinas! Ating damihin at ating namnamin ang kalayaan. Ang ating pong kalayaan, mga kapatid, ay... Uh, nagbuwis ng dugo, pawis at buhay ang ating mga ninuno para sa ating kalayaan, atin itong bantayan. Yan. Sinabi ko po yun in Filipino. Um, we will provide the translation later. But um, this is our 124th um, uh, day of independence from Spain. Uh, because after that, we were colonized by the U.S. for another 50 years and Japan for another 3-4 years. Um, it's very interesting history we have because, uh, you know, we're not just given uh, freedom. We were actually ceded by Spain to the United States. Uh, and now, after 350 years or 400 years of uh, Spanish colonization, none of us speak Spanish. And all of us, most of us speak English. How ironic, isn't it? Um, so that's for you and for you, for those of you in the Philippines, enjoy the holiday tomorrow 
at uh, maligayang uh, kasarinlan sa inyong lahat yan. Well, last week we have heard Pastor Will's sermon on uh, the series of the book of John. We've just finished the book of Mark. And now we're, we have embarked uh, studying the epistle uh, according to John, uh, with whom this epistle is generally attributed to, as Pastor Will mentioned last week. Um, there are a lot of, uh, of um, debate on who's the author of this, but church tradition believes that it was uh, John, the apostle. And so, this should be contrasted to the gospel according to John. This is the epistle according to John. So, last week, uh, we have heard Pastor Will's sermon, and he mentioned about the problems of the churches in Asia and the issues that they're grappling with. Um, the congregations there are facing a lot of problems. Um, they're facing doctrinal errors. They're facing uh, political issues at that time when it comes to leadership. And uh, there's one particular doctrinal error that they're uh, uh, grappling with that affect their life and ministry as Christian. And the pastor will mention, if you, I don't know if you can remember, uh, it's the issue of dualism. Dualism believes that the body and the spirit and soul are two different entities altogether so that whatever I do with my body, my soul, my spirit will remain pure, will remain clean. And so therefore, in the end, I am not sinning. And so when we read the epistle of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, you would realize that um, John attacked this and addressed this issue, the issue of dualism. So in this case, um, we also uh, realize that reading the epistle of John, uh, the writer encouraged Christians to live a righteous life through love. And that is why you would read that. And a lot of, of um, in, in, the, in, in chapters of the epistle of John, you would hear and uh, read these phrases. By this you will know. By this you will know. By this we will know him. So a lot of uh, the discourse of John is into testing our faith. And so also, before I start, there are four intentions of the epistle of John, particularly the uh, uh, first John. There are four intentions of the writer. The first intention is that, that their joy may be complete. We can find that in chapter 1, verse 4. These things are being written to them so that their joy will be complete. The second one is that they may not sin. That's the second intention. The third one is for them not to be deceived so that they may not be deceived. We can find that in chapter 2, verses 26. And lastly, the intention of the uh, epistle writer is for them to know the Son of God and for them to know that they have eternal life. You can find that in chapter 5, verse 13. So there are four intentions. The intention is for their joy, uh, for it to be complete, that they may not sin. We've just read that. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, so that they will not be deceived. We can read that in verse 
in chapter 2, verse uh, 2 to 26. And lastly, uh, that they may know Jesus Christ and that they may know they have eternal life. I'll go and discuss today the second intention, so that they may not sin. And out of this, there are four things that I'd like to bring you today. What's the purpose? What is the assurance? What is the proof? And what is the witness required of us as Christians? So I'd like us to ask these questions out from this text that we have read from chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. What is the basis of a righteous living? There are four things. And the first question is, do we know the purpose of our call in Jesus Christ? The second question is, do we know the strength and the basis of our assurance of forgiveness, of our forgiveness, and that assurance we have in Jesus? The third is, what kind of evidence or proof that is required of us or needed to be seen in us so that people, we, uh, people will know that we know Jesus? And the fourth one is that what witness do we need to exhibit and manifest for us to be identified as followers of Jesus? Purpose, assurance, proof, and witness. These four things. The reason being is that it is possible that you would say that you're a Christian, but actually there's nothing Christian about in everything that you do. I've read it somewhere. It says, if you are arrested for the crime of being Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? If Christianity is a crime, will there be enough evidence to convict you? Or if we will be arrested as a Christian, we will all be set free because they will say, I cannot find any iota or any modicum of evidence or a proof to say that this person is a Christian, you are free. I hope, well, of course, Christianity is not a crime, but I hope if all Christians will be arrested, they will no longer set us free because we all have the evidence to prove that we are one. And so, let me start by going into the first point. We read that from these verses. Verse 1, it reads here, My little children, I am writing these things to you, and this is the purpose, so that you may not sin. That is the purpose. The purpose of writing this, otherwise stated, is to keep them away from sin. In other words, the purpose of these things, the reason why John, as we would attribute it to him, John is writing this, is for us to walk in righteousness, grounded in Christ's word, message, and character. I say that because if you will read the verse, it says here, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But he followed that with the same breath. He said, but, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Now, it describes the work of Christ. 
advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and he described who Jesus is, the righteous. Now, I'll go back to the issue of dualism. Remember, this epistle was also written to address the issue of dualism, to say that even though whatever I do with my body, this is just the flesh. My spirit, my soul won't get affected. I am still holy. I am not sinning. That is what, that's the prevailing doctrine at that time which was addressed by John. So here, it was also an implicit attack of John to that doctrine. He is saying here, he presented the idea that while we are in Christ, in reality, we still have our sinful nature with us. The reality that we are in the flesh and therefore being in the flesh, we are susceptible and vulnerable to sin. And so that's why the assurance there, it goes there, it says that I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. As Christians, we have been given liberty. We can live righteous life in Christ. However, John is saying here, but since that we are in the flesh, we are still susceptible and vulnerable to sin. And therefore, if you do commit sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ. You see, different, quite different from the notion of dualism, John presented another truth. That while you are there in the flesh, you will sin. That's reality. But it doesn't mean that you're susceptible or that you're vulnerable to sin. It does not mean you cannot live a righteous life. Why? Because that is precisely why Jesus died on the cross. That is the essence also, one of the essence of your redemption is that for you to live a righteous life because you're now being given freedom and you are now freed from the bondage of sin. And so quite differently from the idea of dualism, John was saying a Christian should live a life of repentance. Alam niyo yung dualism, it has now, it still has vestiges up to this very moment. You know, you've heard this teaching that as a Christian, you no longer need to repent. Why? Because they say you are already justified and you have the grace of God, etc., etc. Well, if you read John, they will, they will tell you no. Why? Because it's here. It, John recognized the reality. He says, but if you do sin, then you have an advocate. Meaning, Christians, we believers, are encouraged and in fact commanded by God to live a life of repentance. Not only in the way we repent our and confess our sins to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I need to verbalize it. These are my sins. I ask forgiveness from you. But of course, we know that repentance means metanoia, meaning turning away from your sin, having a new mind. And so therefore, Christians are called to live a life of repentance. So who says repentance is no longer necessary in the life of a Christian? Ask John. And John will tell you, no. Because Christians are called to a life of repentance. We are vulnerable to sin. We are susceptible to sin. And so we need repentance. 
quite differently from the notion of dualism. In fact, Martin Luther rediscovered this theological truth. That we are in this position that while we are justified in the eyes of God, we are free from the bondage of sin, we are in our nature and still susceptible to it. And so Martin Luther um, introduced, reintroduced this idea of justification and sanctification. So he coined this Latin term. Handa ba kayo sa Latin term? Hindi ko to, ano, hindi ko nagpapasiklab, ha? Sabi to ni Martin Luther, so I just need to quote him. Ang sabi niya, on the idea of the reality of our nature and our position in Jesus Christ, he said this, simul justus et peccator. Ayan, ha? Idagdag natin sa mga vocabulary words. Napaka, ang gandang sabihin. Pwedeng ilagay sa Facebook. Mamaya, etong aking magiging... Uh, Uh, ano to? Facebook uh, uh, story. Simul justus et peccator. What does it mean? Simul is where we got the English word simultaneous. All at the same time. Sabay. Justus, the word is just. Et is end. Alam yung et cetera, di ba? Pagsabing et cetera and others. Et. And then, peccator. That's where we got get the word impeccable or peccable, meaning capable of sinning if you're peccable. For example, impeccable, clean, righteous. So, sabi ni Martin Luther, the position of Christian in relation to 1 John is we are actually in simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously just and a sinner at the same time. Martin Luther rediscovered this biblical truth and he's saying that because of Christ's imputed righteousness in us, because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, in the eyes of God, we are no longer seen as sinners. But because of Christ's imputed righteousness to us, pag sinabing imputed, robbed, hindi lang infused, robbed onto you. What happened on the cross is this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, His righteousness was given to us and our sins were all surrendered to Him. So in the analysis, we are still sinners. We are sinners. We are, we are at peccator. We are at fault. We are in, sin, in sinful nature. We are sinners. Sino rito hindi sinner? Meron kaming kasabihan sa aming church dati eh. Ikakarakol namin. Namin karakol, you will be placed in a yan and then they will dance you all over. Ikakarakol na namin. You are a sinner. But in the eyes of God, because of Jesus Christ, because of His work, because of His nature, because of His work on the cross, that righteousness in Him was given to us. And so, that righteousness that is seen in us, it's not because of us. It's because of Jesus Christ. Because this is the message of the gospel. We are all sinners. And you know, the gospel is offensive to people. Why? Because the message of the gospel is this. You and I are sinners. 
we did not achieve this righteousness because we are righteous, because we're good. The message of the gospel is this. You need a Savior. Jesus is not a surplusage in your life. He is not an add-on. Hindi siya parang menu that I, aside from my main dish, I want to add on Jesus to my life. The message of the gospel is you need Jesus. Period. You need Him. But that message is offensive to a world that is so self-centered. Gospel is offensive to the world that is so self-centered. Why? Because the gospel destroys every notion of self-entitlement. The gospel destroys every notion of self-placating grandeur of yourself. Ang taas-taas ng tingin mo sa sarili mo. Or perhaps, if you admit that you're a sinner, you don't need God. You don't need God in your decisions. I don't need God in my life. I only need this. You don't see the need of God in your life. That is what the gospel is saying. You need God. You cannot live on your own. Your life is worthless without God. The world will not accept that. Why? Because the world has this notion, I am the most important person in the world. Similar to Galileo, right? When Galileo discovered that the earth is not the center of the solar system, he was actually banished from faith. He was actually labeled as heretic. Which is reflective, which is true. We are not the earth. We are not the center of the solar system. We are not the sun, I mean. We are not the center of the solar system. God is. So that's why the gospel is offensive to people. Charles Spurgeon said this in October 30, 1856. More than 150 years, nothing has changed. He said this. This I will say to them, that the grace hath wrought in them good fruits, that they do walk in the fear of the Lord. That's the message of the church. That's the message of the gospel. In love to one another, in the practice of uprightness and godliness. Yan. But, sabi ni Charles Spurgeon, but men of the world cannot bear this teaching because it makes nothing, makes nothing of the merits of which they think so much. Self-entitled. Ang dami kong nagawa sa buhay. Ang dami ko ng contribution sa sanlibutan. I don't need gospel. I don't need God. Where is God? Why do I need Him? Tell men that they are very good sort of folk. They will like to hear, they will like to hear that. Self-soothing message. Give people a good conceit of themselves or pride, a rub on their ego and they will like to listen to you. But that self-conceit is the ruin of tens of thousands. This message was delivered by Charles Spurgeon in October 1856. 160-something odd years had passed, nothing has changed. We're still self-conceited people. We still love to talk about ourselves. We're still very self-centered. 
nothing about others because that is what the gospel is teaching. It's not about you. It's about other people because that is what Christ has done. He is for other people. If God is just interested, not interested in saving the world, He could just have just sat there and just punish all of us one go, burn us all. We deserve that. But now we have the right to demand God, Lord, where is your justice? Really? We're asking God of justice, what happened to the injustice you've done to your brother or to your sister? I've heard some news. Um, we've heard this. Christian Christian elders, and I'm talking to the Christian elders, Christian homes, or Christian leaders. Some of their um, house health workers, they don't treat them well. Elder ito ng church, ha? Kaya sabi ko, what hypocrisy we're showing to the world. Hindi ba? It's, it's nauseating. Because that is the message of the gospel. Nothing has changed. But that is the purpose. So that we may not sin. Are we walking in righteousness? Are we walking in the light? But you see, this is unfathomable. We're going back to the second question. Do we know the basis of this? When we are called to a righteous living, God is calling us to a life of repentance. And so that brings me to the second point. As we would read from this one and two, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice here how Jesus is described. The sinner was not described. It was Jesus. And therefore, it only tells you that the basis of your assurance of forgiveness, the basis why you are forgiven by God, is not because you are good, not because you are lovable, but because of Jesus Christ. He was further described in verse 2. He is the propitiation, meaning the payment, the atonement for our sins. Not only for us, how powerful this is, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is an assurance. That assurance of forgiveness as being we are called to repentance as God is calling you to a life that is moving away from your sin towards a life of godliness, we are called to repentance. And this is the assurance. If you repent, you are assured of forgiveness. What a wonderful way. Now, this is the problem. And someone told me this. Isn't that when we are assured of forgiveness, that could be a license to sin? You know, as Christians, let us remove that notion. This is what John is telling us. If you have the assurance of forgiveness as you have been called to live a life that is righteous so that you may not sin, now God is assuring you of that assurance of forgiveness. Instead of looking forgiveness, looking the grace of God with contempt to say that since that I'll be forgiven, I could live a life of sin. That would be my ticket to sin, a free, willing, corrupt life. Rather, this is what the Bible is teaching. The guarantee of Christ's forgiveness, the guarantee of God's pardon must be seen 
in the light of His grace and mercy that should lead you to a righteous life. Meaning, the assurance of forgiveness should guarantee you that I can now live a righteous life. Why? Because the assurance of forgiveness is telling you that you can leave that bondage of sin. You can be forgiven from your shameful past, from all your mistakes, and you can move on with your life. And so therefore, the grace of God, the forgiveness, the assurance of sin should never, never be seen as a license to sin, rather a guarantee of God's faithfulness in your life for you and for you to be enabled to live a righteous life. That's how you should view forgiveness. That's how you should view God's mercy and grace. In fact, this teaching of John is very complementing, is complementing uh, the theology of Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, and I will jump to 7. It says here, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's our question. But look how Apostle Paul um, we've uh, woven this narrative and discourse. He said, by no means. O marami palang grasya ang Diyos eh. He's very merciful naman pala. Eh, so I could just do a free willing life of debauchery. But he's not saying that. By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? He's saying it's antithetical. If you truly understand the grace of God, if you truly believe in Jesus Christ, that freedom, that assurance of forgiveness should tell you, I am forgiven. I can now live this life. Pero hindi. Mapapatawad naman siguro ako ng kasalanan. I will be forgiven. So eto na nga mare, ang chismis ko sa'yo. Is that the way we should view forgiveness? Is that the way we should view the grace and mercy of God? Let's change that notion. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him in the baptism into His death in order that as, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, this is the reason. This is what I'm saying. We too might walk in the newness of life. Oh, so that's the reason why the grace has been lavishly poured out unto us. That is the reason why the mercy of God was given so lavishly upon us so that we may walk into the newness of life. So never see that mercy and grace as your license and ticket to sin. No. Because as God calls you to a life of repentance, He also assured you of that forgiveness so that you may live a life that is righteous, so that you may not sin. Now that we know that we are forgiven, I'll go to the third question. What kind of proof now required of me, needed to be seen in me, so that others will know that I am of Christ? And we know that through this. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So how do we know 
that we know Christ? Parang ang tanong, how do you know that you know? How do you know that you know Jesus? Because you are a member of the Living Word Fellowship with membership ID number 202-11775? What is the purpose? What is the proof? What is the ultimate proof? What is the ultimate evidence to check whether you are a Christian or not? What does the verse say? If we keep His commandments. In fact, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandment, is a liar. Intindi ni John, eh, no? Sinungaling ka daw? Hindi pala kayo. Ako pala. Sinungaling pala ako. If I say I know Jesus, but I don't keep His commandments. The epistle wrote that the ultimate proof that we know Jesus is this, whether or not we obey His commandments. In relation to understanding grace is this, if we truly understand the grace of God, if we truly understand what Christ has done into your life, that grace will lead you to obedience. So the true understanding of grace, my dear friends, will lead us to obedience and righteousness. This grace will not be seen as a license to sin, but assured to live in a God-given freedom, liberty over evil, delivery, delivery from guilt, and release from the bondage of sin. If we truly understand grace. Do we truly understand it? So what is the evidence required of us? We need to live a life of Christ-like obedience as proof of knowing Him. In other words, the radiance of Jesus Christ, the love and affection of Jesus Christ will lead you to obedience. I don't know if you've read this book by uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, The Prince, and hence we hear the notion Machiavellian. Machiavelli, si Niccolo Machiavelli, The Prince. Merong isang notion doon na nila, and it says there that I'd rather be feared than loved. If you want people to follow you, you'd rather be feared than loved. Niccolo Machiavelli was saying, there can no be obedience out of love. People obey because they're afraid. And so they were saying, you'd rather be feared than loved. Contrary to what the Bible is teaching. Jesus is saying, you need to love me in order to follow me. If you discover the love of Jesus, that love of Jesus will lead you to obey Him because you discover this person has done something great to me. This person, this God has given His life to me and out of my debt of gratitude, out of that love, devotion that was shown to me first by Jesus Christ, I am now willing to give my life to Him. I am now willing to obey His commandments. And the commandments of God are, well, if you will say they may not be, they may not be difficult, they may not be easy, but actually they're not also difficult. Why? Because even God Himself, God the Holy Spirit, will also enable us to obey Him. Would you imagine that? God will also help you to obey Him. But do we truly understand the nature of grace? Do we truly understand the grace and the mercy of God in your life? 
Because the ultimate effect of knowing Jesus is to live like Him. The ultimate effect of knowing Jesus is to live like Him. His perfect obedience to the Father. His absolute intention to give glory to the name of the Father. So, this is the ultimate challenge as we go to the evidence. This is the ultimate challenge. John is saying that the way to test yourself is to test your lifestyle. Test your lifestyle. Test your conviction. Test your principles whether they are against to the belief that you profess. In other words, am I a Christian? Do I say I'm a Christian? Let me ask you this, and for the, for the friends we have on Facebook and YouTube. Are you a Christian? How many of you here, you profess that you are a Christian? Can you just raise your hand? Pagbigyan nyo ako. Sige, uh, you say that, yeah, I'm a Christian. I think I am. Ayong iba parang hindi na lang, hindi na lang ako magatas. I will not raise my hand. If you profess that you are a Christian, the Bible said, test. By this you will know. Are you keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ? And why are you following? Like Machiavelli, do you follow him because you have the fear of him that you will, he will just, uh, um, that you'll be punished? But you see, the fear of God is on another side of the coin. To fear him is to love him. How do you know you fear God? You love him. How do you know you love God? You fear Him. So, this is the challenge of the writer, to test your lifestyle against your professed belief. And so, with that, now that we know that we follow God, and I'll go to my last point, the question is, what witness do we need to exhibit? I've mentioned a while ago, if you're Arrested being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? Or they will say, ay, walang kaibibidensya, oh. Magmura, magchismis, manood ng kung ano-ano. And all of those things. Magalit, magworry, parang hindi kristyano. Walang ebidensya. Ako po ay Bisaya, so I have the right to say this kasi Bisaya yung lola ko. Sabi, sabi nung isa, sabi nila, Bisaya daw ako, hm, wala naman silang ebidensya. <laughs> Mas lang ebidensya mo. Sana may ebidens. Di ba? Sabi mo, Kristiyano ka, where's the evidence? And so when you are called to evidence, you are called now to witness. We've read that from this verses 5 and 6. But whoever keep his word in him, this beautiful. Discover this. There's more to this than what we read here. I'm not be able to preach this at the moment. Keep his word in him truly. The love of God is perfected. Made perfect. If you keep the commandment of God, if you keep the word of God, it means the love of God is perfected in you. You truly understand the love of God. That was what I was saying a while ago. You truly understand the grace of God. You truly know Jesus Christ. The love of God will be perfected in you. You will obey. You will keep His commandments. The problem is this. We don't know Jesus. You know, man, lagi ang problema. How will you love 
the person that you don't know. This powerful image of the love of God is perfect in us reveals this one thing. This unmistakable test that the love of God can only be perfected in us or in the life of, of a believer if that person will surrender himself to Jesus Christ or attune himself or herself in the word of God. A life that powerfully witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been saying that over and over again. I would say that over and over again. You cannot be just a Christian for yourself. I was speaking to a person. He said, alam niyo po, brother, ako po isang subtle Christian lang eh. Sorry? Subtle Christian. Low-key lang po ako. Subtle Christian. Opo, subtle lang po. Hindi po masyado maingay. Not so noisy Christian. Ah. Not noisy Christian. Ah. Very good ah. Question. Can you, be not, can you be a subtle Christian? Sa office, subtle Christian lang ako. Wow! Okay ah. Meron palang ganun. Subtle Christian. Bakit? Sa office, kasi wala kang ginawa. Kundi magbunga. So, subtle Christian ka nga lang talaga dapat. Honestly, as what we have read in this text, is there such a word as subtle Christian? Quiet Christian? Low-key? Is there such thing? What's your answer? What's your answer? Cannot. Cannot be. It's antithetical. A person who discovered the grace of God, a person who knows Jesus Christ, will be the salt and light of the world. He will shine. He must shine. If you don't shine, there's no light in you. Simple logic. We must be witness of Jesus Christ. A Christian that lives into the world is a powerful witness to the message of Jesus Christ. Exhibit to the world the life-changing power of Jesus. A testimony to the claims of Jesus Christ. You must be a testimony to the claims of Jesus Christ that He is your Redeemer, your Savior, your life-changer. If that does not be shown in your life, there's a problem there. We go back to point number three. Is there an evidence to prove that you're a Christian? That's why these notions are interrelated with each other. And you know what's good about this? In this four aspect, in the purpose, in the uh, assurance of our forgiveness, in the call for us to show our evidence or prove that we're a Christian, and even in the way we witness, what is the proof? What is the, where all these four aspects lead us to? It all, all of these things point us all to Jesus Christ. It's all for Him and for His glory. It all points to the character, to the nature, to the work, to the testimony, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which must be manifested through us. Hindi pwedeng subtle Christian. Hindi pwedeng subtle Christian, noisy chismosa. Diba? Tinatamaan naman ako masyado nito. Yeah, mga galawan natin mga na sabi ko nating mga chismosa oh, ano chismosa. Ganito 'yung mga galawan ng mga chismisan eh. Alam mo, mare, ako naman eh kapatid ko 'yan eh. Hindi naman ako nagano concerned ako eh. Pero nakita ko kasi may kasama. Eh concerned ako eh. I'm a brother ako in the Lord, sister ako in the Lord. 
Talaga, oo. Pero yung pala, kapatid pala yung kasama. You see? Subtle Christian, quiet Christian, loud chismosa. Cannot be. We must be a witness of Jesus Christ. I'm just using that an example. You know, in this church, we're favorite natin example yung chismosa eh. Siguro may problema tayong church sa pagiging chismisan, you know? Why we should not use that anymore? Lord, we repent of the chismisan in this church. We cease to be a chismisan church. Concern, concern, ha? If that's your concern, brothers and sisters, I'm okay. You don't need to be concerned with me. I can live my life on my own. Mga galawa natin, minsan, ano, mara may sabihin ako sa'yo, pero ito atin-atin lang. Atin-atin, sinabihin mo mga sampu. Atin-atin at sangdaan bang kasama natin. Yung palang atin-atin. Kaya mag-ingat kayo sa mga, alam mo, atin na lang itong dalawa. Natatawa yung mga friends ko. Minsan, linyaan ko, atin na lang ito. <laughs> Siguro yung mga friends ko, mga kasama ko sa care group, minsan sabi sa kanila, ito atin na lang. Ha? But we should be witness of Jesus Christ. Those who profess to know Jesus must walk like He did. Like He walked. And how did Jesus walk? He radically loved people. He obeyed the Father sacrificially. And He served faithfully. Meaning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, be like Him. Be like Him. Love radically like Him. Sabi ko nga, di ba, pag may mga sinners na when it comes to this church, are we going to say, sino yan? Bawal dito, chismosa lang ang pwede rito. Yung other sins cannot be here. We cannot be living word fellowship, the church only for chismosas and chismoso. Cannot. We should love radically like Jesus. Love radically. Obeyed sacrificially like Jesus. Gave His life. And serve faithfully like Jesus. Sabi ng verse, walk in the same way He walked. And so I'll end here. In that chapter 2, verse 1 to 6, I hope we have found the call for us to live a righteous life. And that righteous life comes with it a life of repentance that calls us to ask for forgiveness, to live that life, to continuously ask God's anointing, healing, and forgiveness. And we can be assured that we are forgiven. And that Forgiveness should not be a license for us to sin, but to live a life that is in accordance to His will. Because that living in accordance to His will is our evidence to the world that we are His followers. And as we show that evidence to the world, we have become and we are becoming the true witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's how we should live. And beautifully, it was taught to us by John. And may we as people of God always be like Him, to walk in Him, love radically, obey sacrificially, and serve faithfully. Let us all pray. Father, we thank You for today. Thank You for these wonderful words of life that You have taught us. Lord, Your purpose in us is that we may walk in You, like You, that we may not sin. And so, Father, today I pray that you will lead your people today to live a life of repentance, living 
our sins behind and walking into your righteousness. And you have assured us that if we confess our sins, if we change our minds, Lord, with your help and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live a victorious life out from the bondage of sin, out from the shackles of our past. And so, Father, today I pray that we believers who profess to know you would be able to show that evidence of faith in us through our love, through our devotion, and through our fellowship. And so, Lord God, we will be witnesses of you and be like you to love radically, to obey you sacrificially, and to serve you faithfully. Thank you, Father, for this day. Empower your people today, I pray, that this Christianity is not just about them. It's about you, Jesus, who died for us, who redeemed us, and so that we may give glory to your name. Father, help your people today as they face a lot of troubles, as they face a lot of challenges in their lives. Perhaps, Lord, I pray for those people who are struggling with sin. Lord, assure them that in you we can find liberty over sin. For those people here who are struggling over those sins that they think that they could not overcome, Lord, I pray that you will give us the power to become victorious over these things. And Lord, for those who are struggling to obey you, remind us that as we understand, as we fully understand your grace, Lord, you will be there. You will help us. Encourage your people today. Refresh in their hearts. Gladden their spirits. And so these things, Lord, that we've studied today will make their joy complete in you. We worship you and glorify you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's all stand to receive the benediction. May God, the Father Almighty, who gave us relentless love out of His mercy and His Son, Lord Jesus, by redeeming power and sacrifice on the cross and by the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our teacher, and who guide us in all truth, bring us all to a deeper understanding of His nature, character, and lead us all to Himself and so that we may live for His praise and honor. To the one true God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be all glory, power, honor, dominion, and authority now and forevermore, world without end. And the people of God will respond with amen, amen, and amen. Dear brothers and sisters, go for today. Let's love unconditionally. Let's uh, serve God faithfully and let's obey God. Uh, wholeheartedly. And for those of you who have joined us online, thank you. See you all next week. God bless you all.